Welcome to the JACCP podcast. My name is Jerry Bauman, and I'm the editor of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today, we're talking with Drs. John Allen and Nancy Borja Hart. Dr. Allen is Associate Dean for Diversity, Inclusion, and Health Equity, and Clinical Associate Professor at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy. Dr. Borja Hart was an Associate Professor in the Department of Clinical Pharmacy uh, at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center while she served as guest editor and recently started a new position as a medical liaison for Novo Nordisk, specializing in obesity. I've had the opportunity to work closely with John and Nancy as they served as guest editors over the past year for the August-themed issue of JACCP on health equity and clinical pharmacy. John and Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Well, I, I want to thank you both for serving as guest editors for what I think is an important and timely issue of JACCP. My first question relates to your accompanying editorial on what you term pharmacoequity. So could you define the concept of pharmacoequity for the listeners? Well, thank you, Jerry, for inviting us on the podcast. And certainly, Jerry, we look forward to this timely discussion. Before we talk about pharmacoequity, I want to first talk about health disparities. And we know that health disparities cut across multiple facets of society. Uh, and when we talk about health disparities and causes of health disparities, it's been described in the literature that medication use and very specifically inappropriate or uh, inequitable medication use is associated with health disparities. And so our colleagues, Easton and, uh, and, and, and team from the University of Pittsburgh coined the phrase pharmacoequity, which is essentially grounded in ensuring that all patients have access to the highest quality medication therapy possible, regardless of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or availability of resources. Uh, and so in the editorial, we, we've provided some thoughts in terms of how clinical pharmacists are well positioned to be champions of pharmacoequity and the unique and important role that we play uh, to ensuring patients uh, receive the highest possible access to medication therapy. Thanks, John. Uh, the August issue of JACCP is packed with a broad array of examples demonstrating how clinical pharmacists are tackling this uh, issue of health equity. It may be difficult to choose, but could each of you briefly summarize one or two papers that stood out to you? And John, I'll ask you to go first. Thanks, Jerry. And and the first article that, that comes to mind, and you're right, we had a lot of different articles to choose from, uh, and we had uh, a lot of wonderful submissions uh, for the themed issue. The first article that I want to highlight is from our colleagues uh, at Purdue, uh, and this article was entitled, A Call to Action from the Purdue University Center for Health Equity and Innovation. And in it, they describe the formation of their health equity center uh, in January 2020 and some of the work that they've been doing as a uh, center. And really, it was a call to action for pharmacists and pharmacy schools to optimize health equity efforts uh, within an interdisciplinary team. And looking at the list of authors for the paper, it certainly is multidisciplinary and certainly spans the globe literally uh, with investigators in 
from Purdue, but also uh, from Kenya, as well as uh, in government relations as well. So it really is a good paper that speaks to essentially their blueprint of how they developed health equity uh, and developed the center. Uh, one thing that I wanted to highlight from, uh, from the paper is that they provide five different strategies and examples that help centers and schools of pharmacy to really synergize and cultivate further discussion around health equity. And so those are providing student opportunities to learn about different populations uh, and engagement inter integration with communities, encouraging students to identify and lead health equity initiatives, incorporating health equity engagement, and tracking the impact of those efforts designed to address inequity, creating and participating in health equity training opportunities, and developing formal structures for collaborative networks to align health equity efforts. Uh, and I really thought that it was an excellent paper that served as uh, a model that many different institutions can uh, apply to their own circumstances. And this, the second paper that I wanted to highlight was a paper entitled Representation of Diversity Within Written Patient Cases, Exploring the Presence of a Hidden Curriculum. And this came from Canadian and American uh, investigators that sought to do a qualitative content analysis of written patient cases that were used throughout the problem-based learning curriculum at their home institution. And they looked to identify what were the variables of interest for the patients that they were uh, presenting in their cases. And they found significant variations uh, within their patient cases. Uh, and they identified several themes that uh, within the cases potentially reinforce biases and stereotypes. And so this paper really serves as a introduction of the concept of hidden curriculum and the need to prioritize inclusion of diversity within cases. Uh, their study identified that there weren't uh, a lot of diversity within the patient cases, and so they highlighted that as a need for educators moving forward to ensure representation is appropriate and well distributed across the curriculum. Yeah, I found uh, the Will We paper interesting also, John. Um, you know, like myself, I'm sure that uh, you and Nancy have written dozens of patient cases for uh, PharmD student education. And um, I've never, I don't think, you know, unfortunately, I haven't reflected back on uh, the cases that I've written to ensure that I, I didn't uh, reinforce any bias or promote any stereotypes. So I found that, that study also to be quite interesting. Yeah, and Jerry, I mean, one thing that I think that's important to note is that cases have the ability to uplift stereotypes or break stereotypes and how uh, we use them as educators is vitally important to uh, ensure that our students are going into the communities that they'll serve uh, well-rounded and, and culturally intelligent professionals. Great point. So, Nancy, your turn. Happy to be here and happy to just um, highlight two papers that I would like to bring forth to the group. And I don't want to create a spoiler alert, so I'm also going too much of a spoiler alert. So I'm going to go ahead and just briefly touch upon what I saw within these two articles. 
So the first one I want to bring up is the one brought forth by Drs. Formia, Schultz, and Empey, titled Pharmacists Closing Health Disparity Gaps Through Pharmacogenomics. What I thought was really great about this review is that they made genomics seem like something attainable to all. So for me, sometimes when I think about pharmacogenomics, I think it can be something that's more of a luxury, more of something that may be out of touch for a lot of patients. But they were able to talk about accessibility as well as the ability of pharmacogenomics to reduce healthcare disparities. So I thought that overall the review was great to help break down barriers. They spoke a lot to the lack of diversity in research and how to help address that. Um, and overall, just a great review on incorporating genomics. And we all know genomics to be titled as precision medicine. And what more can we need when we're talking about pharmacoequity, especially with the fact that whenever I think about equity, it's about meeting patients at their level, what they need. And genomics is just that. So that group did a great job on their review. The second paper I want to highlight is brought forth by Drs. Westerhoff, Mischer, and Fulbright. And within their article, um, let me look at the title of that one, is called Pharmacist Strategies for Addressing Medication Cost Barriers to Equitable Health in Primary Care. It's also another review for, for the masses of pharmacists that are reading this and other health professionals who are reading this review. Although the writers do call out ambulatory care pharmacists and primary care specifically as a way to help them working with patients, this review can be used by all. And what they do in this article is discuss different ways to help with cost for the most part. There are other things that of course we wanna highlight and ways to help with equity, but this is a great way for those who are not familiar with copay cards, with the tier structure of insurance, with accessing what kind of medications even have prescription assistance programs. Well, this review is for you. So I think that this is a great article to highlight, to bookmark, to save, anything to make sure it's accessible at any point, especially even those who work in a transitions of care setting or those that are maybe on rounds in the inpatient setting and thinking about what's going to happen to their patient thereafter and medication needs. I believe, Jerry, you wanted to highlight something from this article as well. Well, I, I thought it was an extremely valuable resource for clinicians because in uh, reading it, you know, they list all of the example, specific examples of drugs and, and how you can uh, try to minimize costs for patients um, in, in a tabular format. And the other thing they do in their references is that they reference all of the pharma programs uh, that will allow reduce cost or even sometimes free drugs to patients who uh, need them. So I thought it was a great resource for people to have and rely upon when they're confronted with these issues. So also in your editorial, you describe three broad areas where clinical pharmacists may work collaboratively to help aid the problem of health equity. Could you discuss each of these and maybe provide advice for the listeners? Thank you for that, Jerry. And, and certainly when we talk about pharmacoequity and the role of the clinical pharmacist, we know that it's best done as part of a collaborative team. And so we believe, and I think clinical pharmacists, we're uniquely positioned to help advance pharmacoequity for our patients, largely lead through three realms. One, increasing access to pharmacotherapy, 
two, improving the quality of pharmacotherapy, and three, reducing the cost of pharmacotherapy, uh, which as you just highlighted, there are strategies that can be employed um, by clinical pharmacists to help assist our patients get access to the medications they need if cost is a barrier. And so let's first talk about increasing access to pharmacotherapy. And so oftentimes when we talk about increasing access, it's viewed through the lens of availability of the drug or physical location of, uh, of the pharmacy. But really, access has five different dimensions. And uh, really, when we think about pharmacotherapy, there are different aspects that we can affect for each of these dimensions. And so the five dimensions of access are affordability, availability, accessibility, accommodation, and acceptability. And while uh, I won't review the entire definitions for you uh, in this um, brief time, I do want to highlight a, a couple that uh, we think pharmacists are best suited to help and provide care to. And so the first of those is availability. And so availability is the extent to which healthcare providers have the necessary resources to meet the needs of the patient. And so as clinical pharmacists, we certainly play a huge role in terms of defining availability uh, of uh, drugs whether it be with respect to formulary status and formulary management, if you're working on the inpatient side or in the health system uh, setting, or in the managed care setting, we are we clinical pharmacists are integral to formulate formulary management, and so we frame the status of drugs, uh, whether they be formulary or non-formulary, and the various tiers that they may have within a formulary. Thus, we are prime and, and uh, central to the availability of medications to patients. So it makes sense that as clinical pharmacists, we make sure that there's broad availability of high quality medication therapy for all patients uh, as a strategy to promote uh, pharmacoequity. Another example of uh, when we talk about uh, pharmacoequity and access, uh, the next is accommodations. And so accommodation really refers to the ability of the healthcare provider to meet the constraints and preferences of the patient. And so some examples of that in which a pharmacist can, can impact uh, that include uh, not necessarily requiring appointments for all outpatient visits, particularly when urgent, isu urgent issues arise and patients need to uh, urgently uh, interact with their clinical pharmacist, or increased use of telephonic or video conferencing technology. And that's something that um, is a silver lining to COVID is that we've seen increased use of technology, but we need to make sure that um, we're leveraging it in a way that continues to reduce the time and energy that's needed for in, inpatient visits. Um, and then another strategy when we talk about accommodations, and I think this is going to vary where you live, but uh, when appropriate, leveraging the expertise of our community pharmacist colleagues to meet the clinical needs of patients. So, for example, various states have passed uh, laws and certainly with uh, test and treat, uh, having pharmacy-based point-of-care test and treat programs can be helpful uh, to meet the needs of patients and provide them services that, that they need when they need them.
the last dimension of, of access that I want to highlight is acceptability. And so we can do all of these positive things uh, in terms of providing access to patients. But if patients themselves are unwilling to receive or unaware of the services that we provide as clinical pharmacists, it's unlikely that pharmacoequity is going to be achieved. And so in that realm, we think that it's important that clinical pharmacists be more cognizant of the cultural norms and practices of our patients and the complicated history that various communities have had with the medical uh, establishment, including uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, otherwise known as BIPOC individuals, as well as other historically marginalized groups, such as those with disabilities or the LGBTQIA plus community. And so understanding that, understanding the needs of those communities doesn't necessarily mean you need to be an expert in all of the cultures, but it does require us to be uh, come with humility when we interact with patients uh, and work with them to uh, meet their needs in a culturally responsive way. I think that's when we talk about access, those are some examples in which pharmacists can be um, impactful. The second realm we talked about Jerry was pharma, improving the quality of pharmacotherapy. Uh, and so clinical pharmacists, we know we're all about metrics and increasing the quality of, of care, particularly medication therapy. That's central to who we are as clinical pharmacists. And so we as clinical pharmacists have that as a foundational activity, but we need to make sure that high quality pharmacotherapy is received by all patients. And in particular, uh, when we consider quality break down those quality indicators for patient populations that are known to be at risk for lower quality of care. So for instance, racial ethnic minority groups or patients with disabilities have been previously described in the literature to re receive lower quality of care. And so when you're doing your evaluations of drug therapies from a system level point of view, be sure to break that down based on patient populations that have known to be at risk for lower quality of care. And then last was uh, reducing the cost of pharmacotherapy. I'll pass the baton to my colleague, Nancy, to talk a little bit about the role of the clinical pharmacist to reduce the cost of pharmacotherapy. Thank you for that, John. So just going back to one of the key things that we constantly see as a driver for pharmacy practice can be reducing cost. But one of the other things that we should all think about is how can we help with preventive care to reduce costs? So it's not always about finding the most inexpensive medication or even getting the medication for free for patients, but could it just be the fact of making sure to go over preventive care services? A lot of pharmacists across the nation and beyond have been doing a lot of vaccination services, but we can still implement preventive services such as tobacco cessation discussions, um, nutrition counseling, and those can all be things to prevent the cost of pharmacotherapy needs down the line. Um, as highlighted previously, I talked about the Westerhoff article, and I really do think that group brought forth a great review for those who want to know more about reducing costs. But I would also say that all pharmacists should advocate for understanding more about medication access, especially when it comes to Medicare understanding a Part D. And even though it is a very tricky situation, but something that constantly comes up is insulin caps. And even just getting to understand how to best help our patients, how to help them navigate 
these tough times of trying to make sure they have enough medication for the next fill, that could be a blind spot that a lot of pharmacists can fill with their patients as well. Great. Thank you, too. Well, I do want to end by thanking you again for leading the creation of this special issue. And I urge the listeners to delve into the contents with uh, perhaps some degree of self-reflection. I think I did. And I hope this issue, uh, its appearance, will have an impact on our profession and hopefully beyond. Thanks again.